right, welcome back, everybody. Uh, Luke Tarasi here with the, my my guest Moshe Jacobson, who I'm very excited to to get into this conversation. The founder of Cyalana, uh, practitioner of psychedelic medicine, Association of Entheogenics. Um, sorry, <laughs> Association of Entheogenic Practitioners, um, and just an enthusiastic, it seems, and curious individual about anything really expanding life, consciousness physics I, I don't know where we're going today but but i'm excited um so moshe it, how did you start Cyalana, and how like tell me a little bit about that thanks luke happy to be here uh Cy atlanta is atlanta's psychedelic community and i started that back in 2015 after about three years of having had my own psychedelic journeys i started out in 2012 my first experience was with lsd and it, How old were you when you got started? Uh, 32, actually. Okay. So late bloomer compared to most. So do you, do you take great care of yourself then. Thank you. I, I, just did I the appreciate math on that. that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so the first LSD experience I had blew my world wide open, and I saw how every single moment, every single atom in the universe is connected to me. Um, everything that ever was in any time and space has all worked together to create this very moment right now to put me right here. And, and what I'm doing right here right now is actually affecting every single moment forever in every single part of, of existence. And I saw that and, and I felt so connected. And from that point, I started having regular psychedelic experiences. And after about three years, I said, I have to find more people to talk about this with. And I founded Sci Atlanta and we just started getting together over dinner and chatting. It was very informal. And as it went on, I started holding formal integration circles and bringing in speakers and things like that and getting more and more educated about psychedelic medicine myself, or as I like to call it now, sacrament, because it really is a religious practice in a sense. That's, that's awesome, man. Um, we obviously, my wife and I, we call it our sacrament. Um, mm -hmm. For me, it's mushrooms is is my go-to, but my first one is is actually LSD, um, and it was such a spiritual connection. And for anybody that hasn't done, you know, a psychedelic, um, if you do it and you do it with the intention of growing with a curious mind and open-mindedness, it will it will change you forever. Um, Absolutely. So what, what are some of the, the benefits you've noticed as a, as a psychedelic practitioner um, in your, what would you call them? My own personal journey? Um, I was going to say like your clients. Or, oh, my clients. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't know if you call them clients or... I do call them clients, yeah. Okay, okay. Actually, I may not call them clients much longer. They may soon be members as I'm working to turn this more into a religious type of organization. Um mostly because that is the way that our country grants freedom of practice with these sacraments is if it's a religious practice it already is my religious practice but having an organization around that is better it looks no, better yeah. but anyhow my clients have come to me for all sorts of reasons um, mostly depression and anxiety which are of course uh, actually resulting from trauma. Everything everything that we uh, 
have supposedly wrong with ourselves is trauma. And psychedelic medicine is very, very good at helping us heal trauma. How would you, de how would you describe trauma? Trauma is, and actually there's a guy named Gabor Mate, who you may be familiar with, uh, who talks a lot about trauma, and he's really the one to go to if you want to learn about what trauma is. But the way that, uh, the way that I see it, trauma is any time that we disown part of ourselves because it's not acceptable. So okay. the very first traumas in life happen when we are a baby, when we behave in a certain way and our mom turns away. That's withdrawal of love. That's what trauma is, is withdrawal of love for a certain part of yourself. And when we behave in a way that's not approved of and mom turns away, that's traumatic. That's our first trauma. And we learn this is acceptable. This is not acceptable. This is me. This is not me. And so whatever is not me, that's the part of you that was traumatized away. That's the part of you that was disowned. And through... It's kind of like shadow work. Yes. It's the shadow side. Okay. Exactly. So that's... Um, have you ever seen Stutz? Duts? Stutz. Stutz. No. Uh, by Jonah Hill. It's, it's an awesome documentary. It's um, Jonah Hill interviews his therapist um, who's got like Parkinson's and he gets all these different little just tools at dealing with, he calls it more or less like the, the shadow self and like how to integrate it and all that. It's, um, it inspired me to want to start making documentaries. It's, it's like one of the, the coolest things I've seen. I, I think you get a lot out of it. Um, so how basically, so how did you process or did, were you even aware of these hidden parts of yourself before psychedelics? Yeah, there's, there's, there's untold, numbers of parts of myself that I don't know that have been lost. And so they also call it soul fragment retrieval. Um, when you are healing, you're bringing parts of yourself back in that have gotten lost. And so they're lost. You don't know that they're there. Of course, you know, you're not going to be able to bring them back if you don't even know that they're there. And so the, the psychedelic experience is really good at showing us what parts of ourselves are lost and helping us bring back that part and love it and reintegrate it into ourselves. And that's why it's called integration afterwards. It's because you are, now that you know about that part of yourself that needs to come back, then you're doing the work to integrate it. It's, that's a, it's incredible. Um, I've read a book called The Psychedelic Gospels. Have you, have you read that? Uh, yeah, Duncan Trussell? Or? No, 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 it's... Um, what is it it's um i can't remember it's it's a married couple uh, one of them is a doctor one of them is a master and they wrote it um basically in defense of john allegro who wrote like the, the sacred mushroom and he got under attack by the academic community um I, when you when you leave give me your address i'm going to send you a copy it's it's right. incredible awesome. there's so much uh, documentation but it's basically i think they go back maybe ten thousand years to like cave drawings every religion they can they can find has like mushrooms or some kind of entheogenic within it and, and those of you that are unfamiliar with the term entheogenic it's a plant that releases the god within entheos um is which i just i love that you use entheogenic the word because most people don't know it and i was just like all right cool um a man of my own heart 
Yeah. Which which brings us to, I guess, some of the sacred texts, which we were kind of talking about earlier, and how that ties into physics. But how have you noticed, in particular, we're talking up there, how your observation affects reality? Yeah, your reality and your co-creation in it. That's a very, uh, very good question. Quantum, quantum mechanical, quantum physical question. I think that there is no, there is no difference between the observer and the observed. In fact, I was just listening to another Alan Watts recording about this very topic just yesterday, I think, and he was talking about how the distinction, the distinction between the observed and the observer, is all made up in our mind. It's really just one experience. It's one happening of observing and being observed. It's all together. And so when we observe something, we are actually creating it at the same time. If it already exists, we're recreating it. We are uh, strengthening it. And so whenever we go into something with an expectation and we look at it with that expectation, we're reinforcing that expectation most of the time. If we go in with an open mind, beginner's mind, as they call it in Zen, and we look at something fresh, we might see something totally different. And so our ego is what filters what we see. It's what gives meaning to what we are observing. And so if the ego has a lot of preconceptions about how the world is, that's what we're going to see. If the ego is not that way and just is open, then we can see things as they are. So something that I've been, that's kind of like been popping up for me recently has been, especially in the spiritual community, um, it's like, you know, how do we get rid of the ego, right? It's such like a common thing. But then it's like you can't get rid of it completely because then you become completely ungrounded, or in my opinion, become completely ungrounded or untethered. And it's it's a constant balancing act, right? Like mm-hmm. of to lower your ego, but not to lose your ego because then you lose yourself. And it's this, right. this fun little dance that like when you kind of like learn the beats and how to dance with it, it, it becomes, it's never ending, but it's like the work becomes fun. Um, yeah. Have what what would you say would be like something that how do you implement that into your your practices in your 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 religion yeah uh so the the ego is not something to be gotten rid of it's the way that we function in the world it's the way that we present in the world uh it's without the ego we have no physical existence we have no power in the physical world it's our power and the what we are trying to what as as spiritual practitioners what we are trying to do is release our attachment to various aspects of our ego uh, identification with this or that saying this is how i have to be or this is how the world works if we can release that that's releasing our ego and we won't get so thrown when something shows us that it's actually different the ego, though, we, we still need to be something. We need to be some way. We need to have some 
some beliefs to help us through the world because otherwise yeah we if we're completely without beliefs then we don't have any way to function in the world we have nothing for anybody to interact with we have no way to do anything it's hard to even imagine what it might be like without an ego right right have you um you mentioned i think zen is it zen or buddhism where it's like the Tao? so the Tao is part of Taoist um, belief which is has the same roots as Buddhism um, but uh, it's more of a Chinese system Uh, Taoism follows the Tao Te Ching uh, written by Lao Tse and uh, that's also an incredible work if you if you want to read the Tao Te Ching it's actually quite short but also very profound and uh, yeah, it's it's a lot of wisdom in there. So my, my understanding, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, I, I was thinking about this the other day, and now I, I really I like exploring it, and I, to me it makes a lot of sense. So the concept is the way. There's like the way and God, yeah. and like the way is technically older than God, but if I combine that with quantum physics, in order for there to be a universe, there has to be an observer. So like the way needed God or something quote unquote, to walk it or to experience it. And then God uses us to experience himself. Yeah. It's it's, like, it's so funny that you're bringing up all these topics because literally another Alan Watts uh, talk that I was listening to in just the last couple of days, he was talking about exactly this as, as well, that the way, the, the Tao, which means the way, is God. It's the present moment. It's it's flow. It's uh, it. There doesn't need to be a destination for there to be a way. It's just following. Following the flow of what is here and now, and, and going with that. I had the chills when you just said that. So like that, that rings true with them. I mean, yeah. It, right, and and the observation or the. I guess I, the proof I need on that is just when we're in flow state or anybody's in flow state. And everybody has a different way to define it, but you just know the next step to take. Or you mm-hmm. just know the next move to take. And I, thinking of how the universe or our earth or our reality just flows, right? And you can't control it. You can steer it a little bit, but you can't control it. Right. And and it becomes such a beautiful game. I, I think of life like a game. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have like a... Do you ever think of it as a game? Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, and when you said you can't control anything, it reminded me of the Buddhist concept. It's one of the th- three, the three um, noble truths in Buddhism. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm unfamiliar with them. So there's Anicca, which is... Uh, How do I spell that? Well, I think it's, I think it's uh, Pali, but it's A-N-I-C-H-A, if you wanted to write it in English yeah I'm just writing it yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I mean I, I assume you don't know Pali <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, Anicca is is um, impermanence so nothing is nothing lasts and so no matter what it is that we see what we're experiencing it's so it's going to change eventually so not to get attached to anything to know that that this will change too this will pass and then Einstein has that quote the only thing permanent is change or the, like something the only like that. Thi- the only the only 
The only constant is change. The only yeah, constant yeah. is change. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's that's true. <laughs> and uh, the second noble truth is dukkha, which is suffering. Which is D-U-K-A. D-U-K-K-A typically is how it's written. Uh, and then that means that just by nature of existing in the physical world, we are suffering. There's There's going to be suffering. It's just part and parcel of living the human experience because we have attachments. And when those attachments need to be reconciled, there's going to be suffering. Does it say why that's such a necessary part of life? Um, that's a whole, a whole study, you know, it's to understand that, but the fact that we are in this physical world means we're at least attached to these physical bodies and there's suffering when we have to leave the physical body. There's suffering even when we, when we enter the physical body. I mean, it's, and there's suffering anytime we lose something that we, that we thought was ours, part of our ego even. It's, it's also, you know, I'm, I'm not a fan of, of harping on the Buddhist belief that there's always suffering because, you know, I don't like to focus on suffering. Right, right. But I understand what it's saying. It's like there's going to be times in, in the physical existence that you're going to have a hard time because you have attachments. I have attachments. It's going to be it's going to be challenging from time to time. That's suffering. And um, so that's that's the second noble truth of Buddhism. And and you can you can go on for you can study these for days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then the last one is uh, is anata, uh, anata or yeah anata. And how do I spell that one? Like A N A T T A, I guess. Um, Anatta is no self or no control. So, in other words, we we don't actually control anything that's happening. We are aware of probabilities and we try to follow the probabilities. But it's wild how backed up all these are by science. Yeah, I'm sorry to interrupt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. That's just what I thought of when you were talking about that we don't control anything. Yeah. But then you followed up with something, and now I forgot what that was. Oh, um, but you can steer it, right? right? One of my friends used an analogy one time, and I just love it. It's like a bull. Life is like a bull running down a hill. You're not going to stop it, but you can grab it by the horns and kind of steer it a little bit, right? Like all right. Steer the bull? Ha <laughs> ha. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah exa- exactly, exactly. Um, to kind of touch back to the dukkha, that, that suffering for those, um, number two. So... I was referencing this yesterday, actually. In one of my favorite books is A Man's Search for Meaning. Have you read that? Mm-mm. Um, it's by Viktor Frankl. Oh. So he's in a concentration camp, and mm-hmm. he's this. He's the father of logotherapy, um, basically finding meaning within the suffering. And he has this quote, to, to live is to suffer, to, to survive is to find meaning. Mm. And it's like, when he's in the concentration camp, um, he's talking about the beauty and the humanity. And when people lose hope, that's when they die. And it's like, what the one thing we can control is our perspective. Mm. And because something I play around with, and I'm super grateful to God, but something I play around with is like this earthly realm. In order to stay alive, life has to rip apart life, whether it's a plant or another animal. 
something has to go, right? And it's like a weird, and like you think of like yeah. he, like na- animal nature. Wolves got to eat. They're gonna eat that deer, rip it apart while it's alive. Like this doesn't make them evil, but it's that's a tough. It's like a it's a weird reality that we live in, but it's not bad. So it, it's um yeah. Just by the nature of existing. It's, a, it's right. an interesting way to, to look at these things. Yeah, I think we can only, I think that, well, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to qualify this in just a second, but for, for now, we can only really live as long as we're putting living things into us and getting that, that life force energy. Um, but also, I know that we can actually survive off of prana through our third eye. And that's how we, I believe that we used to do it long in in prehistory we didn't actually need to eat anything our third eye was actually uh useful we actually used our third eye for what it was meant for which is it's actually in the shape of an eye it's a gland in our in our brain that is in the shape of an eye facing toward the sky and the pineal gland's face you're talking about the pineal gland right uh yeah mm-hmm. that's facing towards the sky correct yeah and so it looks like an eyeball facing towards, it even has like a retina uh, at the back of it so it's it's said, it's believed that this is actually the receptor for prana, for like straight prana download from who knows where, heaven. Uh, but that we could actually survive off of prana alone. And that's actually what I think breatharians are doing. People who don't eat anything, they just breathe. Uh, and I've actually, I've actually, uh, had a couple of friends of mine who have told me about breatharians that they've known and that they they don't have to eat for months they can just survive off of their prana and and actually thrive they don't even have to sleep very much because they are so energized by the prana they, they sleep like two hours a night food helps them ground that's trippy yeah that's that's trippy i know when i fast um by the second i get tired and then by the second night, I can't sleep. I have like more energy, and it's it just because the body uses so much energy to digest. Yeah, it's such a, a trippy thing. So, for those of you that are unfamiliar, um, how do you describe prana? Prana is life force energy. It's the same thing as chi. It's just the uh, Indian word for it, rather than the Chinese word for it um, or Japanese. You know, they call it chi. And it is what animates us. It's what moves throughout our body. In fact, there's uh, in um, in Taoist philosophy, they talk about the microcosmic circuit in our body. And this is a, a flow, the way that energy flows through our body. It flows starting at the base of our spine uh, in the back, uh, at our tailbone, basically, or, or actually... Um, like our, I guess our perineum. I'm not exactly sure where it starts. Maybe our tailbone, but it goes all the way up, all the way up the spine, uh, over the top of the head, down through uh, behind the nose, and then to the palate, the roof of your mouth. And then, if you're touching your the tip of your tongue to the roof of your mouth, it can continue through to your tongue, your throat, your your front, all the way down, uh, back to your root. So if you're not touching the roof of your tongue, to you're your breaking the circuit. So when you talk, you're breaking the circuit. Yeah. 
You're, yeah, it's 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 advisable to have your tongue at the top of your like touching the roof of your mouth as much as possible. It it completes the circuit. It's good for your jaw structure too. I know that. Like they call it mewing. Oh yeah. Yeah. Have you heard that? No. So like you basically exactly what you said. It um, keeps your cheekbones out. And it's good for your jaw, and your nose and your nasal breathing. Um, they said like. I don't know how to prove it, but um, there's graphics of people that mew versus people that don't and how even if you start late, it could like restructure your face and people become more attractive versus like their noses will become different shaped and their mouth and their teeth become more like indented and things when people don't do it. Huh. Wow. It's just like a, it's a really interesting, again, I didn't hear this till like a couple of years ago. Um, but that's, that's really interesting. And then I've had a ceremony I got a message to like not speak and just basically download information hmm. and I didn't understand it but now it's like oh cool that would have broken my like sometimes like when I'm like in the zone I want to give somebody like the information I'm getting but I don't want to speak to them so I'll just write mm-hmm. like and I'll just sit there so that yeah that makes sense so it's breaking the circuit yeah yeah and when that when that can keep flowing it's uh it's what what helps give us energy it's such a trippy game yeah um, oh and so you did ask about my perception my thoughts on this existence as a game well again to quote alan watts because we're doing that today apparently uh, he's, he's so good though he, like, he he loves to call it a dance you know it's just we're having we're supposed to be having fun here and that's actually what abraham hicks says as well i'm a big abraham hicks fan uh life is supposed to be fun why are we here if it's not going to be fun you know we i believe this is my personal belief but i believe that we choose to incarnate here because we want to be in the physical because we want to have fun and when we get here we forget all of that and we have to figure it out again. We have to remember who we are. We have to remember why we're here. And we have to remember that actually this is supposed to be fun. And that all these things that we are getting distracted with that we think are so important and so serious are really not. That we can just let go and flow with it and dance. That makes sense to me because that's, that's what I think of. I think of this existence as a combination of a video game slash interactive movie. Um, I use a little bit of like the Hindu teachings where this is for God's pleasure, right? He's just kind of like sitting back and enjoying, but it's also for his experience. He's experiencing these things through him, through us. And then John Wheeler, um, an incredible physicist, basically is saying he's also got to be doing it. God's got it. He, whatever, uh, it's the way he's got to be doing this to learn about and expand itself right because the the necessity of an observer right and it's like and i think of it this way if i'm quentin tarantino or i'm martin scorsese and i write a film right and you're an actor in it and i'm an actor in it i'm not going to let me choose how it ends i have the ending already set but i'm still going to watch my film and see the tonality the intentions, the steps they take, where they might move around in the script. And I'm going to enjoy it. If it, like, if it's done well, like I'm going to have fun with it. I'm going to enjoy it. 
and so the, the hermetic principles to me that's what they mean by this is all mental mm -hmm. is we're in this holographic mental meditation from the eternal and then the second principle is correspondence right yeah as above so below as within so without right um and then the third is vibration and to me i think of that as again to tie it into like the best example i have is like social media mm -hmm. is we control the algorithm of the movie that we get to experience by what we focus on what we right. step towards right that's like right. what we click on that's exactly the law of attraction yeah um and i know you're big abraham hicks how did how how did you get into Abraham Hicks? Um, a former partner of mine uh, took me to one of their seminars and I uh, enjoyed it and then ended up going on a couple of their cruises because I love cruises and they, they put on, you know, Esther, Esther Hicks is the, is the one who gets up on stage and she channels, she channels wisdom for whoever's sitting on the stage in front of her from a multidimensional intelligence that she calls Abraham. So her company is called Abraham Hicks Publications and people call the whole thing Abraham Hicks, but her name is Esther. She puts on these cruises and, uh, and so I've, I've really gotten into it. Um, they have a lot of YouTube videos you can go check out. Just search. She's still around. Oh yeah. 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 And I have one of her CDs. Um, when I was in acting, somebody gave it to me. They're like, I just have a feeling you'd like this. And they, yeah, they gave it to me. Yeah. It's fun. It's fun to listen to them. Um, and, Law of attraction is super, super powerful way to think about the world, um, about existence. Whatever, whatever we are focusing our attention on grows. So as they like to say, you know, if you're saying, I don't like this, I don't like this, then the universe says, oh, you don't like this? Here's more. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it's going to be whatever you're, whatever you're focusing your, your attention on. That's, what's, that's what you're going to notice more of and more of. And so uh, an analogy that I love to talk to, to give is actually the life is a buffet analogy where everything in life, life itself is a gigantic buffet. It's a never ending buffet of every possible experience and every possible stimulant stimulation and anything that you ever want to see or know, it's all there on the buffet. The, the things that are, that are beautiful to you and the things that are atrocious to you, they're all there. And we have the choice of what we go take from the buffet. You don't have to, you don't have to take everything. You don't, if you, if you see that there's some gross dish on the buffet that you don't like, you don't have to work to obliterate it from the buffet. You just don't, you just move on. You just get something else. You just get what you want. That's a good way to put it. And so a lot of people, they see the atrocities in the world and they're fighting the, fighting the atrocity, fighting, 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 trying to get it removed from the world. And what they're doing, in fact, is making their world about atrocity. And, you know, it's, it's not a very productive way to behave. Like, it's not going to bring you a lot of it's not going to bring you a lot of joy probably to do things that way. Um, now there are, there are times when fighting for a cause can make a big difference and it's up to you to know what the difference is, where it is that you can best apply your efforts so that you can make a difference quickly and easily without 
fighting, fighting, fighting against? Because you can never exclude anything from the universe. I think we, I was going to ask you a question. I think you answered it before I asked it. Because I was going to be like, in my nature, like. Because I, I noticed, a, I noticed the way that you were looking at me when I said what I said. So yeah, I yeah, answered yeah. it before. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. That's cool. So, because I was like, all right. I get the fact that you can't, you don't want to fight to, like, I get what you're saying, right? You can't fight to obliterate. But it's like, but if I'm in a terrible position, I'd, I, I don't want to just accept that that's how it has to be. It's like, so I want to fight for it. But then I'm not, but then what you said is you're fighting for a cause and not against something. Right. And I'm you, guessing that's yeah. what you mean by the difference. Yeah. You, you want to basically, um, you know, it's not about um, ignoring the things that need help. If you can help something, go help it and make a difference. And, and, and that will give you something to feel good about. Um, if it's something that's consuming you and it's negative, it's, it's, ma it's making you feel bad. Maybe you need to start thinking about something else that makes you feel good and bring yourself into a little bit higher vibration. And that's, that's what the law of attraction teaches is that we, we, a lot of people say, well, you're just, you're just avoiding, you know, you're just avoiding the, the, the dark stuff, you know, you're just, uh, you know, po toxic positivity and stuff. And to that, I say, well, wh why should I make my existence less pleasant if I don't have to? Wh why, why can't I just spend my time focusing on the things that bring me joy? Right? right. Right, because then you're you're being the example, right? It's and it's not being unaware. Like you're not being unaware. Like you you started this off talking about shadow work and yeah. integrating the, the dark, ugly stuff. It's so what 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 do people say to you about that? Like what what's their response to that? To the idea that that you might just want to focus on the things that bring you joy. Yeah generally positive okay. it's like why wouldn't you want to focus on the things that bring you joy why wouldn't you want to stop agonizing over the things that are painful i mean there there is processing a lot of times that you have to do and you have to feel that initial negative feeling to know that that's not what you want that's 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 just the way that it works you have to feel the negative first to know that you want the positive and you're not talking and about it, negative and positive is, of course, our own labels for these things. So you have to feel the, the, the discomfort to know what you want to turn toward. And sometimes you have to face the discomfort for so long before you realize that it's uncomfortable and that I could be focusing on something else. And so that's why a lot of people get caught in grief for many years, for example, is because that's that's all they know. They don't realize that it's telling them, hey, this doesn't feel good. You can turn your attention to something else, but they, they, they don't realize that. And they just continue to focus on the, on the grief. And, and to be clear, Moshe is not saying to ignore. He's just saying, change your attention. Right. Like, be when aware. you notice, yeah, when yeah. you notice that that's what you're feeling, you acknowledge that you say, I'm feeling grief. I'm feeling sad. I'm feeling angry. Whatever it is that you're feeling. Okay. Why am I feeling this way? It's because I'm looking at this news media that is just trying to get me to feel some way. It's so toxic. And I can actually turn this off and go, fo I can turn it to Gaia 
or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Like I can watch something cool and interesting. And free game productions. That's what you could turn it to. Free or free game productions. <laughs> Shameless plug. But right. Yeah. Right. Um, no, I, I love that, and and that's something that when I was younger, I struggled on. I'm, I'm pretty good with now, I think. Um, but I with good intentions, but definitely ego. I had this almost like savior complex where like I wanted to eradicate the negative and uh -huh. the bad and uh -huh. you know, I don't know how many years, but it's yes. exhausting and it's annoying to your friends and your family. Yes. And then I was like, oh, I could just work on myself. Right. And I could just be the example. And if they want something or to learn or I'm just curious, right? Not even want, just just curious. Right. I'm here. Right. I'm not hiding what I'm doing, but I'm not forcing it anymore. Right. Yeah, that's exactly the journey that one of my friends on the last Abraham Hicks cruise that I was on realized. She uh, she's a black person and she felt very strongly about racism and wanted to eradicate racism from the world. And any time that anybody did anything uh, racist, she would be there to, you know, like correct them and. But and but she felt that like she was never doing enough because there was still racism and, and there was always people that were going to be racist and people that were suffering from racism. And she had to get out there and do something about it. And it was exhausting her and it was annoying the people around her. And she realized that actually all she has to do is raise awareness to her own immediate surroundings. And that's it to herself and to the people who are interacting with her. And that's it. Because it's everybody's own individual journey to overcome the generational tra uh, karma and trauma that they've been born into. It's everybody's, that's, their, that's why they, I think that we choose to, to be born into those situations so that we can have that challenge. I don't think that that's, you know, Maybe it's maybe it sounds to some people like insensitive, but I think that everybody who who is born into a specific circumstance actually chose to be born in that spot. That's the only way I can accept because because I, I I've gone through that too, and I'm like there there has to have been some kind of cosmic agreement before they got here, right? And it's consistent with what I believe. Yeah, and so I don't. I mean, it it, it helps me not to feel sorry for people. Which who who wants to feel sorry for anybody anyway? You know, everybody's just living their life and, um, you know, they, they can, they can, you can compare to, you can compare their life to my life or my life to somebody else's life and start to feel sorry for somebody or, or jealous of somebody. But really, we're just, we're just here to live the life that we chose and stop comparing because this is our journey. We can't help anybody else on their journey, really. I mean, unless they ask for our help. Um, we just need to focus on our own journeys. And the way to help is to be the example. And it goes back to like the, the old proverb, give a man a fish, he eats for a day, teach him to fish, he eats for a, for life. a lifetime. Yeah. And um, maybe two or three days ago, my friend Melissa was here and I was talking about, I wanted to help somebody out because I felt they helped me out with something in the past um, and what I was going to do and like not even let them know and I was just going to help. And she was basically like, you're going to rob them of an important lesson they have coming. Yeah. And I was just like, oh, that's true. Right. And like them helping me was nothing other than they just wanted me to be there. So like me having to like on the back end, like paying their debts, so to speak. It's like, yo, you, 
they're not going to get the lesson and then it's going to come louder at a future date when you're not there. Yep. And it was just like a, uh, you know, so again, like, and I'm, and I'm thinking I'm better about like the saving stuff. I think I'm good. I know I'm good intentioned, but sometimes doing it for somebody else, you're robbing them of the skill set that they would have gotten. Yeah. You're robbing them of the experience of, of learning of the wisdom that they would get. You know, if life is super easy, what fun is it? You know, like they, there has to be challenges in life for us to feel like we did something worthwhile. If we just go through life and the whole thing is super easy, then what's the point? It's not even fun. If just doing something that's super easy is not even fun. It's like fun. playing in cheat mode. That's why we forget. That's why we choose to forget when we incarnate. Because if, if we didn't forget when we incarnated, we just have the cheat codes to life and life would just be stupid and boring because we could just do whatever we wanted and there'd be no no, no journey yeah no consequences that's that's a great way to put it is what fun would it be mm-hmm. like it, it just want to be fun and like the point of this i think is you're right it's it's fun to learn it's fun to grow and these little growths and these little learning lessons just steps forward and then yeah, we leave and then we come back and we just keep doing it. Yeah, I mean, you could think of life like a roller coaster. Well, the roller coaster, you, you get off at the same place you get on. But so but you want to go on the roller coaster because you like the ups and the downs. But you, okay. it, it wouldn't quite be the same if you just like got onto the train and then got off because you were already at the end. Or, or if you just like... <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> no, no, that's a really good analogy, though. I've never, I've never heard of it that way. I've heard life is a roller coaster. I've never heard that you get off or you get on, and you, we like the ups and downs. Like we're all sickos. Like we like the downs. Like, you know what I mean? Like we all do. Contrast so we can appreciate the ups. Right. We like the downs so we can tell people we got up from it. There's no up without down. And no movies worth watching. No games worth playing without any challenge. Right. It would. What would be the point? Right. Um. That's, I mean, that's pretty beautiful. How do you, so like, using manic, manic, using magic to manifest in, are those cheat codes or are those just higher level? Is that like playing the game on like advanced? Like, what's your, what's your view on that? And, and I, I think of magic as, so the word gospel just means, it was the etymology is good spell. Like people like mm-hmm. magic, they think like, I think people that are unfamiliar think, you know, craziness or Harry Potter. And, and I don't think that's what you think. What, yeah. what, what do you think magic is actually first? Well, I am, I'm still pretty new to magic, but as I understand it, there's different, there's two different types of magic. One type is um, using your alignment with your higher self to manifest things more easily to become more aligned with god and there's i had a physicist say that that's where magic basically comes from it's he calls it coherence but alignment same thing mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah same thing and the other type of magic is basically summoning entities to do your earthly bidding and uh which, which sounds fucking crazy but like <laughs> but you know, I've, I've been there for both but like yeah 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 uh so what i'm just working on right now is getting my myself aligned so that i can manifest more easily um 
And how do you do that? So it's a question of programming your subconscious. Uh, your subconscious is the workhorse manifester. As, as much as we want to believe that we can manifest by thinking conscious thoughts and, you know, and, and it's true, you know, uh, the law of attraction, Abraham Hicks, whatever, they're all about, okay, if you want to manifest something, you visualize it and you feel it and you sit with that feeling and that visualization for as long as you can. And you see that as being here and now. And the more that you can do that, the faster it's going to manifest. And that's true, I believe. And you got to get your subconscious on board too. Your subconscious is, is doing more than 80%, as, as, as I understand it, as I've been told, more than 80% of the manifesting of our lives. And so the things that we have been trained to believe from a very young age are deep in our subconscious and they're very hard to change. And so the things that we assume every day, the things, the patterns that we've been taught for so long, those continue because our subconscious um, just accepts them without question. And when you want to manifest something big, you've really got to work on reprogramming your subconscious beliefs, your limiting beliefs. And there's a lot of different ways to do that. You can, you can, you know, use hypnosis, you can use affirmations in a trance state. Um, you can do dream work. Uh, there's a lot, there's a lot of different. I want to get into dream work. That's something I, I'm rereading the 49th mystic, which is probably my favorite book. I don't know. I'm a prisoner at the moment all the time when I'm reading books. It's always like my favorite book, but, um, 49th mystic is absolutely, have you read that? No. All right. So it's this girl and she's in this, she's in our world, a little bit futuristic. And when she goes to sleep, she goes to a parallel world which is still our world, it's just in the future. Hmm. And she meets basically mystic, esoteric Jesus, more or less. Um, and this guy uses the actual verses from the Bible, but he uses like their real translations and how crazy and mystical it is. And it's just like, and what's done in one world affects the other world. And like the fate of both worlds is, is on it. And there's this book we have that I haven't, I, I read like just the beginning and I was like, all right, this is so deep. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm ready to step into this one yet, but it's basically like, it's about lucid dreaming. Mm -hmm. And it says people lucid dream now to lucid dream. And they miss the point of lucid dreaming, probably dream work is enlightenment. And I just was like, all right. And like, it was right around the same time I was doing 49th Mystic. So I think I'm going to get back to that lucid dreaming one mm -hmm. starting next month. How, how much have you gotten into dream work? Um, a little bit. I know, I know there's a whole branch of practice called uh, dream yoga, which is... Do you know anybody that does that? You got to introduce me. I do, actually. Um, and the idea is that dream yoga is supposed to be a way to rapidly pay back our karma. Kind of like you're talking about. It's a way to reach enlightenment or, or however you want to say it. But, you know, I've, I've practiced lucid dreaming... It, it takes a lot of a lot of attention during the day to to uh, continue checking. Like, am I awake or am I dreaming? Am I awake or am I dreaming? And so you have to be doing that. You have to get in the habit of doing that all day. And there's different ways that you can check if you're dreaming. Um, one way that one way that I was taught that I used was to write something on your hand, a word, and you can look at that word, and 
and uh, if you're, you know, you, then you look away and then you, you intend to change the word and you look back. If the word is changed, you're dreaming. If it's the same, you know, you're still awake. But I found that I was able to change the word in my dream and I'm like, oh, I'm dreaming. Uh, I've had other lucid dreams that I haven't really even tried to make happen. They've just happened. And, you know, they're interesting, but uh, I, I don't know that I necessarily resolved any of my karma in those dreams. So what do you, what happens when we resolve all our karma? I feel very clean, to be honest. Um, and you know what's funny is people that have wronged me, like in serious ways, usually appear to me in dreams and like apologize. Hmm. which is really interesting to me. So when yeah. you said that, I was like, huh. And I would like to thank for people that I've done that to, like when I try to send prayers to them in healing, that I appear to them in dreams and somehow it's like, hey, my bad. Yeah. You know, I'm human. I fucked up. Um, yeah. So, I mean, in this lifetime, we're not only, I think, paying back our own karma, but the last seven generations of, tra of karma. I say trauma, but karma. <laughs> I mean. The way you define trauma, it's kind of yeah. karma. Yeah. Kar karma is just cause and effect. You know, the things that our ancestors have done to create effects, we, we can pay that back in the way that we live our lives. And so our, our, our journey of paying back karma is never done, really, until we're dead. And even then, maybe not. So let's say, but let's say hypothetically, in this game, you pay back all the karma points you need. then you probably just don't incarnate again, is my guess. You just don't choose to incarnate again. But what if you want to because you think it's fun? I guess you could do that. I mean, think about the Ascended Masters, like Thoth and uh, I don't know, what other gods. Um, like these people can right. can just come, re they can incarnate at will and, and leave their bodies or come back into their bodies and change timelines and uh i mean I, I i personally believe that 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 is possible once you've once you've ascended and it it takes uh it takes a a mastery of course of you know that's why they're ascended masters right right it's not easy um but i think it's possible it's probably the most worthwhile thing to pursue would be mastery of the soul well yeah i mean at least realizing through and through that we are more than this physical existence you know life life is just a preparation for death and if you if you believe that death is just the end of it all well it's kind of lame <laughs> it breaks, i mean it, it's it's weird. It's just a cop-out because if you say you believe in science, well, energy is never created or destroyed, so where does it go? You know, like like yeah. when people say they don't, it's like... Yeah, the, the vibrations... So you're breaking, you're breaking laws of math and science, but that's the... Or not you, but hypothetically speaking, that person would be breaking just to not have to explore what, me, what death means. Yeah. Michael Burke told me, death is not the opposite of life, it's the opposite of birth. And I love that. He's like, there's mm -hmm. no opposite of life. Mm -hmm. and I, that to me was like yeah I, um, I, I love that how, so just dreaming does that help you tie into the Akashic Records how does that 
so the Akashic Records practice is is also somewhat new to me, but I've been really enjoying it. Uh, the Akash, the Akasha, uh, I believe is it's is what it's called in in. Uh, I'm pretty ignorant to this. Jacob has a really cool story with it oh, yeah. um, that kind of ties him into all this, cool. actually. But um, I'm kind of I'm pretty much I have a rudimentary understanding of it. But can you give a very basic explanation yeah. for myself and the listener? Yeah, the Akasha is it's the Akasha is actually a Sanskrit word and this concept has been around since Sanskrit times. Um it's a it's a collection of all the records of everything ever. It's 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 a way to access infinite knowledge. Anything you ever need to know is available in the Akash. Um and does that mean everything's pre-written? No, I don't. Well, that's a that's a whole different question. I think. Okay. Um, I don't want to sidetrack you too much. Either. Yeah, yeah, that, and that's a really different question. But uh, the when you when you connect to the akashic records, the idea is that you can ask any question that you want, and it's almost like being. I mean, it it really is basically just like a connection to your higher guidance, and whatever comes through from that is meant to help guide you in your life. So you can ask questions of a practical nature or you can ask questions of other lifetimes, you know, what what happened, you know, who you were in other lives, in other lifetimes that maybe you need to heal. Um, you can do, you know, past life healing and stuff like that with the Akashic readings. Um, I personally just currently use them mostly for just practical stuff. And, um, you know, I just ask it for help on whatever I'm going through to, to give me advice. Um, and it's like being tapped into my higher self. It, it always knows what to say. Like, it always knows the truth of the matter and um, how to encourage me. And sometimes it even gives predictions and stuff. They're not always accurate. Because <laughs> right, it's all a probabilistic yeah. universe. Yeah. Um, so, so I, I astral traveled once, um, on accident, really. Hmm. Um, and then I blew it really. Cause I didn't know, like, uh, I was just like, Oh my fucking. And I was like, I'm going to meet the architect. Like, and I, I went into like a gray, almost, it looked like a, almost like a movie screen, like just a gray background playing mm-hmm. and I was floating do you, is the Akashic Records, is it something you see? Is it something you feel? Like how, first off, if if I'm able to get myself, when I'm able to get myself to astral travel again, do I do it through astral traveling? Like how do I access this? Or what's it, what's it like to access, I guess? Yeah, if you want to learn how to read the Akashic Records, I would suggest finding somebody who teaches it. Uh, and Where I would can, I do that? I can okay. I can I can connect you with somebody that the person that I learned from. Yeah, yeah, please. But the, but you can probably even just go on Google and and be like Akashic record instructor or Akashic reading instructor and find somebody, you know, that can probably help you. But the the typical way that people connect to the Akashic records is through a specific set of prayers, uh things that you recite, you you, you ground yourself. And then you recite specific prayer in a specific way. And once you are connected, you can visualize, like I like to visualize going into my Akashic records as if 
there's three huge vault doors that are opening for me as as I say the prayer because you're supposed to say the prayer three times and um so it's going to be different for everybody I'm guessing yeah it's whatever you want to visualize that helps you imagine yourself it could be a huge library you know you could be walking into a huge library or you could be walking into a a big cave with matrix on the walls or whatever um but the idea is that once you're connected then you you ask your question i i've been taught to write it down on in a on paper write down my question and then the answer will come in for me in the form of words for some people it comes with images as well um but if you just write down everything that comes to mind as it comes to mind and you don't judge it, you don't try to second guess it, you just, whatever you think, whatever comes into your mind, you just write it down immediately. And uh, the more that you do that, the more clear of a channel you become. And the things that enter your mind are more and more aligned. So I've been doing it for about a month now and I feel very aligned when I do it. In fact, I've even played around with it a little bit. I had it write a poem for me. Oh my God, it's beautiful. <laughs> yeah, and uh, that was fun. And, you know, I had it also, it, the other day I was like, what can I do to help the situation in Israel? Because, you know, Israel's at war now. So um, it, it said to me like, okay, your your connection's very clear now. Let's, let's write a prayer. And so with the help of the Akash, I wrote uh, a prayer, uh, a very beautiful prayer for this, for, for the Middle East. And, um, told me to share it around, and so I shared it around, and it That's was beautiful. very well received. That's a crazy situation. Yeah, it's such a complicated, crazy situation. I'm yeah. so ignorant on it, and I'm just I'm saying prayers, just like yeah, yeah. It's oh. it's hard to even know what to do about it. It's but yeah. <laughs> um, that's really interesting. So. I'm trying to think of what I would ask. Do the, does your teacher give you guides on like what to ask? Sometimes, sometimes. Uh, most of the time, it's just whatever you feel like asking that day. And it, and it's it's a really good idea at the beginning to be to make dedicated practice so that you're you're practicing every day for like at least forty days, um, so that you get the hang of it. So you establish a relationship with your akashic guides and um, really get used to it. And at the beginning, you're only supposed to connect for a certain amount of time. It can be a little bit ungrounding. It can cause you to, some people can feel headaches or woozy or whatever after they connect for a long time. Uh, so you're supposed to just take it easy at the beginning and increment your time slowly. Um, but uh, you can ask whatever you want. A lot of times I just ask, is there anything important I'm supposed to know for today? It's a great question. Yeah. It, sometimes I, I overcomplicate things. And I'm trying to like have these big like da da da. Hey, anything I should know for today? Yeah, it's just a great like. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, what's a common answer you get? It, I, I, that's probably not a fair question. You don't have to share that. <laughs> well, it's it's the most encouraging answers that you can get. It's you know it's it's your highest knowing that comes through when you do this. It's like it's like don't worry about the little stuff. Don't worry about money. Don't worry about, you know, it's like 
we've got you. We're, you know, you can let us handle this. We're going to handle this for you. Just relax and, and, you know, just do the, do this part. As long as you do this part, we'll take care of the rest. And, and that kind of thing, you know, just reassuring messages that help you just not worry so much. Help me, I should say. Not just worry you so saying much. that helped me. Yeah. <laughs> so thank you to your Akashic guides. Yeah. <laughs> um, dude, that's, that's awesome, man. So we're, we're basically right at the hour mark. Um, Dude, I'd love to have you back on here, man. Uh, I feel like it's we're just really getting fun. started. As, as we said, once you get going, it's always like, it's, I feel like we're just getting going. Yeah, we can we can make up more questions. Yeah, 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 time. for sure, man, for sure. Um, and, and we're going to connect. You know, sorry, we missed the Shabbat yesterday, but we're in the area. I have one more thing coming up, and then after that, I'm pretty much locked in and, and grounded for a while. Awesome. And then always thank you to Jacob, our, our maestro behind the camera, mm -hmm. whose Akashic Records more or less predicted this this teamwork, this, um, this team up. So it's something that we're, we're hoping that has a good ripple. Yes. When it's found, it's found. Good. So awesome. Amen. And and uh, end of the episode. Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed. Um, again, Moshe Jacobson. You could Sci Atlanta. How, how can people connect with you? Yeah. So if you're in Atlanta, you can join the Sci Atlanta meetup group. It's uh, Atlanta. That's p s y Atlanta dot org. And um, we have regular weekly meetups and monthly meetups and online meetups if you're not in Atlanta. And uh, you can just go there and join. And yeah, uh, you can also connect to my, uh, my psychedelic medicine work website. It's www.entheo.coach. And that's spelled E-N-T-H-E-O.coach. And there you can find out a little bit more about me, my my journey, and, and how I help people. Awesome. Thank you.